I tried to go for the, the Spider-Man kiss all day. I mean, like, you just oh. try to hang <laughs> Look for oh, opportunities. Baby, oh, here we go. <laughs> so that, I heard this is sexy. I heard this is sexy. So that's why you have pull-up bars all over your apartment then, yeah. just for that situation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Bull and the Badger. This is, unfortunately, just the Badger, holding it down over here in NorCal. It is a rainy, rainy day. Uh, I'm also going to try to, you know, bring in some light and humor into this place because it's, it's raining, guys. It's it's supposedly storming, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it home, guys. I just don't know. I'm just kidding. It's going to be fine. But we're here today. I've got two guests with me. Um, and since I cannot banter without the bull, we're just going to bring them in. We're just going to do this thing. Um, I have before me Dom Munjin and uh, Min Yuan. Did I even? I always get that wrong. Min like, Win. Min Win. <sighs> I'm always hearing like different things about N-G-U-I. Yeah. Nugen. I bet there's like a long history that... We will explore in another podcast, but they've come here today, taken out their Sunday afternoon, which is um, real kind of them to do. And we are eating uh, butterflower sugar and drinking coffee and water and Diet Pepsi, respectively. Um, <laughs> but along with that, we I wanted to bring the both of you in because I feel like you both have some unique perspectives on the... The topic that I want to talk about today, because it's been ruminating and um, 2016 was kind of a weird year where a lot of different opportunities, I want to say, to come together as people of color, um, whether it was um, Black Lives Matter, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, the DAPL pipeline, um, all these things um, amounted to a banner year for activism and and trying to unite um, people who cared about certain things, you know, to get out there and say something, whether it was, I don't know, passively on Facebook. Like, I, I don't even know how you all feel about that, but um, I felt a little bit immobile, like a little bit frozen. And I think mm-hmm. I've, I've, I feel shame for that because I want to be somebody who is know like i i like to fashion myself as like yeah like i give voice to the voiceless and that's why i'm a filmmaker like i do these things because i care and i want to make sure that people who don't have a voice normally have one and you don't always have to be a filmmaker to do it i mean that's 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 kind of par for the course but um before we go too far down that road can you uh introduce yourself and I guess we'll start from the left and go right. So, um, yeah, that's you. That's you. So, you lean in. Hi, uh, my name is Dominique. I work in diversity and tech in San Francisco. That's that's perfect. Right. What what uh, can you tell me a little bit about um, like where you grew up and how you grew up and things like that? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in New York, about thirty miles northwest of New York City. 
on a horse farm. So really, in a, I anticipated that. Yeah. In I, her, <laughs> by looking at you, I was like, she's got horse in her. <laughs> yeah, it just oozes out of my pores. Um, but so kind of a rural mixed with really, really close urban um, region area. And I grew up with my mom and my brother. And yeah, we we're just the three musketeers for most of childhood. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And where have you lived since? I've lived in a couple of places. I was in Boston for a little while, in Washington, D.C. Baston. Baston. Uh, that was just for a summer, though. Uh, Washington, D.C., where I went to school. I did semester abroad, and then I went and lived abroad in London again uh, for a little while after that and been in San Francisco for six and a half years or so. Oh, so you're like a San Franciscan now. Would you Would you say that? Or are you Are you always New York in your heart? Uh, <laughs> I think while San Francisco has a special place and I have a lot of love for it, I think New York will always have my heart. Uh, I just really like pizza. Yeah. Well, there's legit pizza out here. Mm-hmm. If John, John Crawford were here, he'd be like, cheese board, cheese board, cheese board. Yeah, I haven't messed around with the cheese board yet. So maybe that's uh, that's the one key to really make the full transition. That right, I'm right. And then all of New York will weep. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I got well, it. Well, once okay. we move past pizza, we got bagels. We got transportation. We got oh. All stuff. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. It's a throwdown. It's an <laughs> east side, west side throwdown. Um, <laughs> Min, are you team east side or west side? I'm team south, but probably more east side as all a result because right. I'm all on the right. east coast. Like, Is it like dirty south? Like three R's dirty? And It depends on what, uh, where, where in my life you like peg me at all right okay let's, let's talk about it a little bit um uh, what do you do right now i also do diversity and inclusion work um for a nonprofit in the on the west coast all right, all right. um yeah so my name is min Wen. i was born and raised in charlotte north carolina um vietnamese american grew up in a pretty big family stayed in north carolina for school then moved to um texas and atlanta working for our city government um, mayor's office in Atlanta. So I was in Atlanta for about four years before going abroad for two years. And I was in Chile, Turkey, Myanmar, and then Jamaica um, for those two years. So where haven't you been? <laughs> where haven't I been? I haven't been to anywhere on the continent of Africa, but got close when I was living in Turkey since it was in the MENA area. Of those places, which one do you feel like has been most important to you in you know your racial identity work of all the places I've I mean I think um that's just being born and raised and working predominantly in the south for most of my life it's those are transformative in how I think about and act upon things that have to do with race um you know as it, it looks different in Houston and in Atlanta um and being born and raised in the South, I just have thought about it a lot because of like how I grew up. Um, I was in a pretty big Vietnamese American family that was in a mixed neighborhood. And then Charlotte had forced busing, so we had a pretty diverse um, schooling system. But in 2002, which is like the mid-year uh, or midpoint for my high school years, we had a reversal of this Supreme Court case, Charlotte versus uh, Swan versus Charlotte Mecklenburg um, County Schools, which allowed for school choice, and it kind of reversed the the quotas and like the forced busing oh. that was going on. And so my freshman yeah. year was sixty percent white, forty percent minority, 
And then my senior year of high school, it was 90% minority, 10% white, 80 percentage points of which were black. Yeah. And so like completely reversed. Um, and so, and then I went to a predominantly white school for college. I went to mm-hmm. Davidson. So it was like a jump from like 80% black to 80% white. And Culture uh, shock. Yeah, it was a big cultural shock. So, I mean, I think the South in general, well, it's most of my life shaped a lot of my ideas about what race is in America and then the two years abroad kind of pulled me out of it and and taught me different things interesting yeah we, we will come back to that but I also have an important question like what was the most important place for food for you um you can laugh Tom it's okay it's I a think, good question. Don't laugh at my question, though. Question. Turkey it's a great probably question. Turkey probably had like Ooh, some of the best food. Like, I did not expect. I was thinking Chile or Jamaica or somewhere. Chile, I did not like the food that much. Oh. It's kind of bland. Okay. Um, sorry to all my Chilean friends, and they would also say the same probably. I remember at work they had a big salt shaker because they don't put or none all food, but they just didn't put salt in their their food. So you had the, the giant salt shaker. So the, none of them are living like with high blood pressure. Like they're all walking around real healthy and stuff. Yeah, probably. Oh, uh, that's awful. Yeah. And then yeah. Myanmar, I like Burmese food a lot. It was just, it was very oily mm. in most of the places I ate. You can go to higher end places, but the daily, the daily vendors don't really, there's a lot of oil partly because if you're cooking in, cooking in a lot of oil and there's not, not a lot of refrigeration, it keeps the bacteria and like it keeps you healthy in that way. Interesting. But the oil kind of runs through your system and it just doesn't. Yeah, I love that like uh, 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 that combination though of uh, halal and Chinese food. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like the Chinese take something and they're like, well, we'll just do it that way, and then it's like, oh, this is this is amazing. Like even in Peru, like there's a there's a specific. Uh, you know, uh, name for Chinese Peruvian food, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing, mostly because I'm Chinese and we feel like we have to claim everything. It's terrible. But um, what about for you, Dom? Favorite place for food of all the places you've lived? Don't say D.C. because D.C. is terrible. Um, disagree. Uh, Strong disagree. I wasn't going to say D.C. and I feel slightly defensive about it. Go ahead. Um, try it. No, I think my favorite place for food... Um, that's kind of a, that's a hard one. I, this is a very important question and there's a correct answer. (laughs) Yeah, I bet there is. I'm probably going to not get it right. Um, the first thing that jumps to my mind is actually London. I love, I loved eating in London because London is so gigantic that you can have anything like everyone complains about it though. It's getting better. I think. Is it the takeaways? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Everything. I had great, like, I had great British food. I had great Indian food. I had great. The only food that was not great in London was Mexican food, which is pretty understandable. Okay. It's far away. It's far. Yeah. (laughs) They got to figure it Um, out. But they had, they had really, really great stuff. Um, Cheap pizza. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I love, like, really anything that's, like, cheesy and tomato-y will, is enough. So... Uh, you can find mostly anywhere. for some reason that made me really hungry. Yeah, just saying cheesy and tomatoey. It's, it's a brilliant combination. Like if you think about Italians cheese and tomatoes, yeah, yeah, they, they they got something going on. They got it right. Well, um, same question to you. Where do you think was your most important place for racial identity formation? Um, 
that's an interesting question. I think it's evolving. So I consider myself mixed. My mom is white. My dad was black. And um, what that actually means is constantly evolving. Uh, That question I've been thinking about quite a bit. Like, when was this, like, pivotal moment? And I actually don't think there has been one. I think it's just been a gradual change and awakening and awareness to how not only the world sees me, but how I interact with the world and the spaces I go through, right? So one of the first moments that were was um, notable in that was when I got into college. So I remember at the time I had a really good friend. He was, he is a white guy and we both applied to the same school. I got in, he did not get in. So we get our letters the same day. He finds out I was accepted and Instead of congratulating me, he said, aren't you really grateful for affirmative action? And <laughs> are we allowed to gasp at that? Yeah, like, sure. Okay. You can gasp. Not in the, not in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'll say like, we were quite close at the time. So I was really surprised that that was his reaction. I understand he was, you know, 17 and upset and whatever, but um, it was one of the first real understandings that he saw me as quite different from him, mm. let alone the fact that he didn't know whether I checked any boxes on my forms or anything like that. Like he yeah. had actually no insight into that. So he was making assumptions about me on a number of levels and let alone that my grades were better than his in all of our subjects. Oh, man. Um, so that was like one, one moment. But when I started to think about it, it goes back farther and farther and farther into different moments, right? Like I was in the fourth grade and this girl, bless her, like she had just found out she was adopted. So she was going through, she was going through her own stuff. And she tried day after day to convince me that I was adopted because I didn't look like my parents or like the middle of my parents, (laughs) not either one distinctly. Um, And so I would talk (coughs) to my mom and tell her like just tell me the truth like i know i'm adopted she'd be like dominique your brother looks exactly like you (laughs) what makes you think that you're adopted and i was like okay 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 um and so on and back back even to stories that i've heard about myself before i even have conscious memory of them so it's more this gradual understanding of how others see me and what that means um and what i need to uh what sort of privileges I have and how to use them in a way to hopefully, I don't know, amplify justice. It sounds a little sure. cheesy, but that's what I mean. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, please use all the cheese. Cause like, <laughs> I mean, that's what we're here to do a little bit. Cause I want to say something cheesy right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw in the tomatoes later. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just cause boom, I boom. think the acidity like evens out the, yeah. yeah the, the sharpness the of yeah. the, <laughs> Because I know what you like. That's we great. should yeah. bring back the if cheese. We're gonna be in this duet real. together. And we have to be able to read each other. Sweet tomatoes are like, like, kind of on the on the cusp. Of tomatoes. What do you think? Probably not sweet. Okay. No. Are tomatoes sweet? Yeah. All right. Anyway, I think like <laughs> fresh ripe tomatoes. I mean, Sorry, they can New be York. Sweet. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> but I did have a question. I mean, like, it kind of brings up a, a thing, right? Like, like race and identity, and like part of it. It sounds like, I mean, with the adoption too, like whether or not you were adopted, like it's important to know kind of where you belong. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, was that kind of a strong sense that you had back then or this is for you, Dom? 
uh to know where i belong uh meh (laughs) i guess is my answer i grew up in a predominantly white community so i think like kindergarten through eighth grade it was like me and one other kid of color and then high school is pretty much the same as well does race identity have a lot to do with feeling where do i belong I think it helps define who you are, which inherently helps you decide where you belong. Um, So you don't see them as like a hand-in-hand question? Yeah, it's kind of a confusing question (laughs) for me. Okay, I think maybe we we have leapt a little bit far in terms of like logic. Because like sometimes when we talk about race (laughs) and we talk of identity, like we think we're saying the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't have that same Mm -hmm. sense and i talk to white people you know and i say white people and that's like a very huge generalization right like people are trying to constantly tell me that you know like just because you said like white doesn't mean they're like american you know and (laughs) is that mainly from white people (laughs) yes yes so so i gotta i have to ask about that because it's it I, I've been getting in a lot of conversations right. about this and it's like, it's a little bit frustrating because like sometimes like I have to like go, okay, take a couple steps back. White as an identity, right? Like that is different than maybe who you identify as, but then trying to get them to understand that they've benefited from this particular identity. It doesn't matter that uh, they think of themselves as Russian jewish something something right something that's like generally in europe was oppressed like the way that they're treated in america is as a white person with a lot of power and privilege and that's just they that's the hand that they were dealt you know and it's like but you know and i get all these like buts and i'm like i don't know what else to say to you uh but was your was your question to dom more aligned with was your racial identity important for your sense of belonging growing up I guess that's that's probably a good way to put it. Like sometimes I need different translators. I'm trying to connect these ideas, and I'm trying to figure out like, you know, like what what did it mean for you to make sure that you were adopted, or to, you know, like because of the way yeah. that you looked, you know. Yeah, I mean, so to your earlier point, I think race, identity, culture, heritage—they're all slightly overlapping but distinct at the same time. Mm. Um, for me, it was less about. <laughs> Uh, I need to make sure I'm not adopted so I can like have this, I don't know, belong somewhere. It was more like, is my mom lying to me? And is there's this like secret conspiracy? Um, It was more like, let me find this out. It was more of a child, childish curiosity as opposed to anything else. Um, but did you ask if she adopted both you and your brother? Because that's one way you both look alike. I mean, I was, what, like 10? I wasn't even thinking about him. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he, no, no, that's not bring him into it, okay? Yeah. Am I adopted? As <laughs> soon as she was like, your brother looks just like you, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, and and I, she was reassured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think my how I see myself has changed. Like, I used to, people say, like, well, how do you label yourself? It would be, oh. I don't know, mixed, biracial, whatever. Now it's, I'm more closely identified with black. Um, mm. Again, because I think that's how other, in part, because other people see me that way. Mm. And 
I recognize that I have privileges as being a lighter skinned person mm. that some of my, some darker folks might not have as well. And that there are layers and history and things that surround that as well. But now I identify the other way. This, I think you also bring up a very important question. It's like, what is outside perception versus inside perception and mm-hmm. how much are those things connected and, you know, how much do they act on, like, whatever behavior you exhibit? And, like, for me, like, I grew up, <clears throat> and everybody on the podcast knows, like, I grew up in Arcadia. I was born in Philadelphia, though, so... Did you say in Arcadia? Yeah, Arcadia. That's the same name as my farm. No, no, it's not that. That I grew up on. But I didn't have horses, okay? I wasn't. Got excited. It was. (laughs) Okay, I'll get excited too. But after the podcast. No, no, no. I love Arcadia. It it like was a primarily uh, white suburban town, Mm -hmm. like kind of more um, affluent, like white, like upper middle class. But then Asians started moving in. And so it became Arcadia. (laughs) Can I call your farm Arcadia? sure okay all right cool done 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 so um there's no asian people yeah there's no asian whatever you'd like yeah and now it's considered like asian beverly hills which is like silly and absurd on so many levels but it is like um you know it's got like a primarily cantonese taiwanese mandarin speaking um population you know it's like maybe 70 percent asian at the high school and when i was going it was maybe 60 percent white uh, you know, thirty to twenty percent, twenty to thirty percent Asian, and then like ten percent an amalgamation of um other, you know, people of color. So inside perception versus outside perception. So you know, my inside perception was I was actually like very Americanized, and I wanted to stay apart from people who were like just immigrated. You know, so there's like a lot of talking about like being a fob being versus an Asian American and a lot of like differentiation. And that was very important to me. Like, but now like I regret not knowing Chinese and I regret, you know, and there's all this like backwards, like trying to figure out what foods are called, trying to figure out how to cook things that like have been brought down through my whole family. And then like also just, like, I don't know, trying to like recapture something that I don't think, I had growing up but mm-hmm. you know like because my parents were more Americanized they helped me with my homework like they helped mm-hmm. me with my college applications both of them had gone to college so it was like I had the opportunity to gain from their experience you know I didn't have a you know uh, first generation kids experience you know like nobody was beating me because I got bees like they were disappointed <laughs> but you know <coughs> do your thing do your thing yeah so so like out, inside perception was, I don't want to be this. Outside perception was, everybody had thought I was good at math. You know, like, there's these things that, like, you know, and how much does that seep in and how much do you, like, act on that on your everyday? So for you, men, like, growing up in the South and, like, in a very diverse neighborhood, like, were you um, maybe more aware of being Vietnamese like being versus Vietnamese American. Do you know what I'm saying? Like those like little differentiations that you had? Yeah, I think it's contextual. And I don't think race was a big deal until I went to college where I started gaining the language and it felt like there was this like mix of race and class and mm-hmm. cultural challenges that made it more relevant to speak about it in a particular way. Because I remember in marching band, which was predominantly black. Um, what instrument did you play? I played sax. 
That was an alto sax. Alto oh, sax. Nice. Yeah. We didn't have tenors. Anyways, I was like section leader for two years. Yeah. And I remember just calling me and my friend. Um, my, my friend was black. We would just just use. I mean, I would say, "What's up, black man?" And then he was like, "What's up, Asian?" And it was not a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, part of the I think part of that is within communities of color. Sometimes it's not a big deal if you feel the energy and the intent, um, and there's no power involved with that. Right. And so because we were so integrated, I feel like. Yes, people called me Jackie Chan, or like they would do these things that are like racially insensitive, but it was never such a big deal to me until I got to college and then I started finding language and understanding contextually, like through these academic readings and stuff, what that meant bigger. And then that started bothering me around what it could mean throughout like the political economy of the use of these words or like、mm. the power of that kind of stuff. And so, as and I feel like this is a little bit loaded, but like I think what's interesting, right, is like people would like to see similarities. They want to grasp onto these things that <coughs> these things that tie us together, you know. And it's like it's cool. You can call me this, and I can call you that, and that's cool, right? Like, and and there's this like understanding that maybe you and your friends had, but then when you gain language and you Gain understanding about certain things, like you then engage yourself in a world where there's more conflict, right? And you, 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 but you decided to choose that, right?、You、no, I think it you, just happened, right? Like I think that when you're kids, you just are. Similar to like、um, Dom's story around、um, wanting to know, being influenced by her friend to ask her mother,、um, "Hey, am I adopted?" And you're just influenced, and you don't have this kind of like meta concept. Of why you're asking it, you're just asking it because of these kind of like, you're just unsure if that's true or not, and you want to like decide so that maybe you can go back to school and like tell your friend for sure that that's not it. Or I mean, I think you're less political. Like I remember high school being less politically charged and politically correct, but we were better in community,、hmm. and that was a function of the fact that we had a very integrated.、Um, High school, and now we're just like. What's fascinating to me now is, we we have like all this segregation from like the whole systematic things, and then there's this rise of charter schools. Yeah, and there's not integration isn't even a conversation anymore. And there's this great podcast I think、uh, NPR did it around the benefits of. Re- like doing integration of the integration years、mm-hmm. and how that kind of turned around and I can't um I can't think about or I can't not think about the fact that like why aren't we talking about that anymore and the benefits of being in community together regardless of and having these smaller conflicts so that we can understand each other um in how we solution for like the challenges that we face today that have a heavily Racialized、um, perspective. Sure.、Um, Question. Yeah. So, how much of that do you think is also influenced by the fact that you are that as yes, young children, you've got that whole thing going on in common, but also relatively similar class structure、uh-huh. or class bucket that helps do that. So you have got like the proximity, you've got age, but you also have class. Do you think that was also a driving factor to why that community felt so cohesive? Because you're all sort of on le- level playing ground in a way. 
I mean, we were so, so I was in an international baccalaureate program, the IB program. So academically, mm-hmm. I was in a diverse classroom, both uh, socioeconomically mm-hmm. and racially. And I didn't think about class until college because it became more just like Divisive. just more apparent. Like I knew somebody that's mother was like, you know, exec at Enron before her life fell or exec at like Sirius. This mm-hmm. is like. It's, it's a whole nother level of class where in co- uh, high school, it was like, oh, this person owns like a car dealership, which they're balling, or like they're two administrators in like a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so they're much higher class than like my family was. Um, but I didn't feel that because we were so well integrated because we were taking the same classes together. We we're on the same tennis team. Um, and we went to, you know, we just went out together. And I thought that was fascinating because it wasn't as big of a deal just by sheer fact as we were just trying to get through the IB program and that shit was rough. Right. And so yeah. it doesn't matter who you, who you struggle, are from, all this other stuff. And we didn't think about that. Like we didn't also put language behind like why it's easier for this person mm. to get at that. We just kind of worked together and tried to get the goal, which was get this IB diploma on top of the high school diploma. But in college, there's this kind of like, layer, like the you want to peel the layer back that shows the privileges of which how people get to where they are and start working on these kind of systematic things that would help other people get to it. And again, like for me, it's just like, oh, the integration of it helped everybody figure it out. Because like one of my friends definitely helped me with my college essay. Um, and I just, I didn't know what his background was. We were just helping each other. And I definitely wouldn't have gone into Davidson without that help, right? But that's just because we were friends. And that's, to me, the best. Like, I could have sat back and asked, oh, yeah, like, well, like, my parents don't have, my dad has an associate's degree. My mom didn't finish, like, eighth grade. And so class-wise, like, education-wise, our families would be different. Um, and they didn't know what FAFSA was or, like, how to apply to college. So those are like so different that like I think about the fact that I could, I mean, I know all these things now, but if I didn't have my friends, then that wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. What's interesting to me is that like, did you, Dom, feel like growing up you identified as a white person because that's how, what you saw with your mother? Because I have this, I remember meeting this Asian American, Korean American that was adopted. There's a lot of Korean adoptees, right? Yeah. Um, and we were at this con- Asian American conference. He was like in military school, and we were we were talking to a bunch of girls. And then we had this moment where we were like, "Oh," um, the guy was like, "Oh yeah, like she's really cute." And then he said to me, he was like, "I really," and the woman was uh, Asian American, and he was like, "Man, I really need to start dating interracially." And I was like. Yo, bro, <laughs> you're Asian. And he was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I remember now. Because, like, his little sister is white. Like, his parents are white. And that's that's, that's just, like, what you see. And that that's what you, even if you see Asian, like, your identity doesn't necessarily, yeah. like, connect with that. Partly because of how you grew up. And you have these rare moments where people are like, oh, affirmative action, right? And you're like, what? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, oh, me? You're like, but I was number one in the class. What are you, what are yeah, you doing? You're <laughs> yeah, no. 
Um, absolutely not. <laughs> you didn't identify. Okay. No, and I think it, I I don't know if I was ever. <clears throat> I was always. I think one of the things that um, did come out though of that, while not identifying as white, it was always mixed or something else. Um, actually, I think like Tanisi Coates wrote an interesting article recently on Barack Obama, and it, mm-hmm. I I really mm-hmm. it resonated with me was like comfort in white spaces was what came out of that. So, mm-hmm. which has been really useful to me, honestly, throughout my uh, going to a private, predominantly white university and working in a predominantly white industry and at a company that's predominantly white. And so comfort in interacting in those spaces, being myself, recognizing that I'm different, but that I can also fit in and sort of get some of the cultural references, jokes, et cetera, mm-hmm. that are happening yeah. there, I think was an unintended sort of gift that growing up that way yeah. um, helped prepare me for for my, the life that I have now. Right. Um, but I've always felt different, right? Like even in, I think it was like, I don't even know, second grade maybe, huh. there, another black kid moved into the school. It was a huge deal. And everyone was like, you guys should date. And I'm like, I am eight years old. Please leave me alone. But right. but for no other reason than that we like looked like we belonged together. Mm. And so it's not something that you're allowed to forget or to mm. allowed to blend in to the background. really quickly min to what you were talking about and and in being in college and at davidson and learning language and kind of those things and i think maybe less about what we find in common as children and contextually like those spaces seem fine but like i feel like you also made very specific decisions to pursue um activism in that way where you're continually engaging in that kind of language so I'm curious about that because I feel like as an Asian American and you know what, and most people, they can, they can ch- learn that language, but they can also choose not to engage. They can like a coat, they can put it on and they can take it off and walk away from like that lifestyle. Does that make sense? And I'm curious about why you decided to stay engaged and keep the coat on. Sorry, I talk in metaphors. Stop me if you're confused. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, put on that winter coat. Put on that winter Well, I think a few years after I graduated, I was doing um, mentorship through my fraternity, and I was telling uh, my mentor, who is, is like, he's a well-to-do retired white man who retired at like 50. Whoa. And I was like, can you be my mentor? Like, I get mm-hmm. that you're a Republican and white, <laughs> and like all these things that like, might go against like the system that I'm trying to change, but I also want to retire at 50. That sounds amazing. And we were sitting down for dinner, um, and um, I was talking about my mentee just like dropping out of college, and he was like then working for Little Caesars, and like just the difficulty in trying to manage the relationship, because when we had first met, my mentee and I. Um, like it was February and 
he or January or February and he had not heard of his he didn't even know what a GPA was and mm-hmm. I was like yo bro you're a senior we need to get on top of it but he had these goals of like going to U of M to like become an architect and I was just giving this background to my mentor and he was just like don't you get just tired of it all and like something to the effect of like can't people just help themselves mm. and I was just like huh and the, my gut reaction was like, I'm tired, but I guess I'm not like tired of it. Like there, you know, like you just have to keep, I didn't feel disconnected from it. So that moment was, you know, years in the making perhaps, but I don't feel disconnectable. Um, and I think that's it. Like the only way that we can make progress is that all the challenges is not trying to do it for people. It's to do it with them because it's for us and to make it decisively ours as a problem to solve. And and you're, you just feel like that's who your community is. Like the communities I predominantly did work in was Asian American and African American. And I think because of my reaction, I just realized, oh yeah, this is my problem. Mm. And I don't feel like I'm doing it for anybody else. And Baldwin, James Baldwin talks about this in one of his articles at, in Cross of Redemption, where he's just like, it doesn't, like the labeling of it is not his problem, right? He was just like, people use the N-word, and he's, he was like, oh, but I'm a man. And really, you're trying to degrow, uh, like deal with like the Negro problem, but it's not my problem because I didn't create the label or the system. Mm. It's really your problem, right? And it's really if if it's there, if it's selfishly yours, you're trying to solve the system to like to fix that, and you're doing it with other people. If that makes sense, right? Like too many times do we allow ourselves to? It's not that we can't. When we get tired, we can't rest. But it's a different thing to rest than quit. And there's too many people that feel like they can quit. Well, that was a lot. I'm sorry. No, yeah. that's all good. And I have so many questions, which is good because I think um, there's two things that are going on in my brain right now. Like one is like language. When we talk about us and them, Negro, white, black, Asian there's people who want to do away with that language and that to them is the solution to solidarity and to activism. And wouldn't there be less hate if we stop labeling people, right? So there's that, there, there's this school of thought around that. I want to talk about that. And then there's also a question of like, <laughs> there's also a question of, um, <clears throat> I think, is when, when does it be, start becoming their problem and it becomes our problem, my problem, because I think what I'm seeing in the Asian American community is it's like their problem. Let me deal with getting to school. Let me deal with trying to like live and survive in like a life of comfort and creating something for the next generation that is a nest egg for them. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's that's something I think we got from a more immigrant mentality, like. They fled something very specific. You know, a lot of the, you know, immigration is like that. It's like, we are leaving this thing in order for a better future and for my kids. And that, 
I feel like gets carried on, but in a way that is so insular that is unable to see past um, what what they are trying to achieve. Does that make sense? Like their vision is very narrow in terms of what it is. So I'm I'm wondering how like how do we open that up for people? Like how do you argue well, like this is everybody? This is everybody like as a person of color, this is something that we can all agree on, like this is not a good thing. Like, you know, like affirmative action becomes something that divides people of color because Asians don't technically benefit from this idea of and I think that's a bigger a really large question, right? But maybe we can try our best to talk about it. But Dom, what would you say to someone who's like, I, I want to go back to the first question, which mm-hmm. is, what do you tell someone about like, well, I think it would just be easier if we didn't have labels. Like if we just didn't see black or white or Asian, you know what I'm saying? Like these differences. <laughs> well, there is a lot. There's so much there. Yeah. So usually when I get questions that I just tend to disagree with, I will start by asking them questions, right? So, well, why is that important? What does that actually mean? How do you think that would actually change anything from the lexicon? By changing the lexicon, how would we actually change actions? Because that doesn't stop being able to see difference. It doesn't stop hundreds of years of different systemic oppressions affecting different groups in various ways. So by not talking about a problem you and pretending it's not there it's only going to get worse i think right now in the u.s we don't talk about race cross-racially enough mm. anyway mm. what does that mean it means that when i talk to white friends of mine even getting them to say black people mm. they say it in hushed tones like it's a bad word what really and friends i should use that term loosely like acquaintances right sure Um, because as they're awakening and becoming more versed in talking about these things, you're going to make mistakes and not know what you, you're, Mm. you can talk about how you can talk about things, et cetera, but you need to start to make those mistakes Mm. and doing away with labels. It just seems like it seems reductive. One, it's, it seems reductive. It seems impossible. I mean, we're not biologically built to not categorize folks into in-group and out-group. I just want to be a person, Dom. That's a luxury that certain groups are afforded and others are not. And everyone just wants to be an individual, right? Like Mm. nobody wants to represent their race on stage Mm. when they are giving a presentation. Nobody wants to be the only one and hold the mantle for an entire group. But unfortunately, that's not what happens in a lot of situations for a lot of people. Mm. Um, so, I, I mean, it's just, to me, it's, it seems like a silly suggestion in some ways. Um, so I would probably answer it inquisitively to sort of hopefully get the person to think a little bit more holistically about what they're actually suggesting. And if that's even something that would help, let alone be plausible. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem, too, is like when you talk about people... <clears throat> You, when you're relating face to face, it's easier to take them as an individual, right? But when you're talking about political bodies and how to change laws and things like that, I think categorization is helpful as a starting point, but maybe not as like 
the end all be all like it has Mm -hmm. to be a shifting definition and i think that's where people get into problems because when we talk about black people right um or even asian people let's talk about asian people right like we're talking about different socioeconomic status we're talking Mm -hmm. about if you're talking about the continent people from the continent of asia Asia is so freaking big it's like not everybody's a chinese person you know which you know, secretly, I feel like everybody is, but that's okay. No, that's <laughs> a whole terrible. different message. Terribly <laughs> terrible. Um, huh. But also, you know, like it's it's like, uh, you know, everybody's like different different immigrant level, different English level, different access to resources and things like that. And so when you talk about an Asian American caucus, it's like that's so big, you know. It's so, but but it, as an identity, as a political identity, it's important, right? It, it's got some weight. It's got a it's got to push something and it's got to advocate for something very specific. I mean, would you have a similar kind of response to those people? I mean, what's, what's the unfiltered version for you? I mean, for me, I'm learning not to engage in those kind of conversations because I don't know if it's actually productive because mm-hmm. like it's a position of privilege to say that usually. Mm-hmm. And they're probably in spaces where they won't get enough um, perspectives that are different from that to change. And so especially if I'm just meeting them, I don't, I'm, I'm choosing less often to, or more often to not engage in that kind of conversation mm-hmm. because I think it's just a social thing for them to do, not a, some, not something that they're actually wanting to grapple with. Mm-hmm. So like I have to gauge their intention. Like if they actually want to understand how to make changes, then I'm, I'm, I'll engage them probably like more similar to like what Dom is talking about because questions are better. Um, and if the intention is more to be, you know, these are just quip, quips, just saying things like, like I was talking to this guy in LA and he was just saying things like, oh, like women are just like more narcissistic. And I know that he's saying that mainly just to poke fun at this other guy who's really sensitive. Okay. He's like from the Bay Area. And he's, like, really sensitive about, like, political correctness. So the mm-hmm. guy just, like, what do you mean by that? That's not true. Da-da-da-da. He was trying to get a rise. And he was just, yeah, he was just trying to get a rise. So it's more of a social play than, like, anything that I am unclear. Like, it's unclear to me why he would say that. Mm-hmm. Is he looking for, you know, people to, you know, agree with him and say generally that's true? Or, like, mm-hmm. is he questioning whether or not as a form of operating in his life that's something that you know, works for him, you know, or is he trying to really gauge if that's like a mode of operating or thinking that's not helpful, right? If that makes sense. Mm. Like what is helpful for me is a really cheesy example. It's like I, one of my roommates was like, oh, um, this is the move when you go, when you're on a good date and you're like, hey, do you want to come home for, do you want to come over to my place for some Prosecco? And I was like, that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> that's absolutely ridiculous. You don't and then love I the went, Prosecco, Hold huh? on, hold on. And then I went, I went on a wine tour with, uh, with two of my friends and one of their friends, three women. And I tell them, I'm like, look, this is like a ridiculous. And all three of them were like, no, absolutely. I would, I would definitely say yes. And I was like, what? And one of them was like, I would say yes if it was rosé. And I was like, oh, man, this is incredible. Where it's like, <laughs> it sounds like a ridiculous statement. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong. I don't know. Would you guys say the same? 
because it, it's measurably different, which, which I realized when I was in LA saying this to my guy friends, because they were saying the same thing, right? It sound, they were like, absolutely, sparkling wine. Ugh. And I was just like, okay. Disgusting. And then they were like, yeah, because there's two things, right? One is people, women like Prosecco or like sparkling wine on the whole. Number two, um, you're really changing the conversation to say no to the Prosecco, not to you personally. And it feels safer to, to say no to that. So it's just like a, both a dialogue. I mean, to go back to my first point, what are you saying these things for? Which is mm-hmm. like... Are you saying it to be provocative as a social thing or mm-hmm. is your intent to really like engage in this topic? And usually in, you know, party settings, you're not really trying to engage. You're just trying to like <laughs> yeah. spark conversation or like right. be interesting. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to like, because if I get mad is something just, I just light people up more so with questions now, but they feel my intent. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're pointed questions, right? They're like. Well, hey, like, let's talk about this now. Yeah, right? it feels too serious, which I can get serious really fast. Mm-hmm. Or I can go about the Prosecco. <laughs> I would rather talk about the Prosecco. Wait, this turned into a dating conversation. Yeah, but it's all about intent. <laughs> <laughs> and intent is, is hard to judge. And I think from my perspective, um, or at least where I've encountered kind of these situations, like, it's it's usually, like, white people. And it's usually, like, like or Asian Americans, I've definitely had Asian Americans ask me about this, and you know, like, wouldn't wouldn't life be easier? I was like, I don't know about that, you know. And you're right; I think it does come from a place of pri- privilege. But sometimes, like, say it's like um somebody with you know who's living in some intersectionality, right? Like it's a white gay woman or something like that. Like, and you know that their intent is to kind of like they've lived with labels as well, and they want to engage with a person of color and go like why are you so angry you know like or why 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 do we have to talk about things in a way that just seems very harmful like and that Mm -hmm. labels are part of that harm like what what then like i don't i mean for me i use the lens of race to understand all the other isms Mm -hmm. right all these social constructs that then produce systems of power that can marginalize people and because of that, I can have a lot of different conversations across the board. Some people don't do that. And if they haven't, in my opinion, dug, dug deep enough, if um, they're asking and not empathizing and like trying to apply their own like marginalization into the conversations um, of, say, race, right? And I think the other thing that's important to me now, which I realized this year, is how do you what's the point of like trying to say um that doesn't apply and when when somebody says a statement right um so like if if you're saying something about like you just said something about like usually it's white people and then somebody their response it because this is the cadence right they say oh like i don't know if that's true like i don't think it applies so that's that's what the language would look like and so this person's like, oh, I don't know if that applies. Like, if I responded that way, like, I've learned that it doesn't, it's, it's not, like, thought-provoking. And so... It doesn't push the conversation forward. Yeah, so, like, for it's me, dismissive. it's now, yeah, it feels dismissive. So now, 
if the person hasn't done that work, because that's that they have to do the work, is the question of how do I manage the conversation in such that it's it's on their terms, because it needs to be on their terms. I I can't be like vocal like. It feels almost like an act of violence trying to persuade someone into the perspective I have. Mm. And if I, similar to the strategy I was talking about earlier about how everyone needs to personalize the things they're trying to get to, I'm also trying to make it more selfish and say, how do I understand this person? Because I will run into these conversations in the future. And in this context, it would be, how does this person that's at the intersectionality of like one of uh, the groups that have been marginalized how does this person not get this? And where's that disconnect? How do I ask more questions if they want to engage? And then are they just trying to be provocative? Are they trying to like actually engage? And how do I manage it um, so individualistically that I get these kind of like patterns, these data points of how most people or a lot of people that I've met empirically deal with these kind of conversations? And in that way, I become for some reason more effective in trying to be more selfish about it if that makes sense right Mm -hmm. like i'm like oh like i'm not even though i have the viewpoint that everyone should like apply their marginalization and understand all these groups the way i used to approach it is more like why the hell didn't you do that already (laughs) you know yeah and then the act of violence is like trying to persuade them to use the same kind of like mechanisms they've experienced to understand it but now it's like, how do I manage it just so individualistically around that one issue rather than like, try to bring this like big picture because not a lot of people, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, I'm like now rambling. So I'm just... <laughs> no, that's okay. I think we're all working things out, right? Like that's, that's me going like, uh, I don't understand this thing and I want to talk about it. And, and I'm curious, like Dom, like for you, what questions are those entry points into understanding people's intent? about these kinds of things you know what i'm saying it depends on how they approach it um and what they want to talk to me about right like i've recently in the last year like you said 2016 was a rough year yeah um if they ask me something that can be found on the good old g-o-o-g-l-e i (laughs) direct them there right right so like hey dom what is this like all lives matter thing you can look it up here is a resource if you don't want to google it directly or how can I be a better ally? Oh, great. I have a guide already written on that. Here you go. Um, if they actually want to have a deep conversation about what their whiteness or uh, otherness or what whatever category means, sometimes, depending on how I'm feeling, I'll be open to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, I will be. Um, it sort of ties back, actually, to earlier where I said like I grew up really comfortable in in white spaces, mm. so a lot of white people approach me frequently oh, about your, racial your, things. Do you feel like, like you talked about people who didn't have the, uh, or people who who end up being symbols for something, and you know? Yeah, and I, while it can be tiring, yeah, I'm not tired. Sort of as you were saying, men like. I recognize that there's something about me that seems inherently approachable for these conversations, and I'm willing and ready to at least start them with people. Mm-hmm. Um, where I know many of my friends of color are at a point where they don't want to have those conversations, and the fact that I'm not quite there yet, I feel open and ready to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's a little bit of responsibility attached to that too, because I want to make this world a better place. I want to help dismantle systemic injustice. And if talking to somebody for an hour about what it means to be white and what they can do with their whiteness is going to help in a small way, or at least trigger some ideas and some questions, and then I'm, I'm here for it. What? Oh, real talk. What, what were your thoughts when I asked you to do the podcast? I was terrified. I think I told you. I think I said, Vanessa, I'm terrified. <laughs> um, but it didn't feel like that kind of ask. No, 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 not at all. It, it's more, I'm just one person who does this for my day job. I'm not an academic or a particular expert in the area. It's something I practice. So you talked mm. about the coat earlier, taking off and putting on this coat of engaging in this topic. Right. It's something I engage in all the time. It's your skin. It's my skin. And that gives me an opinion. It doesn't give me expertise. Mm. Um, and I'm working on building the expertise, the tools sure. to talk about it, the concrete, you know, shorthand that'll help me fast track some of these conversations that come up over and over again. But, but yeah, so I think that's where, where the fear came from. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, what's hard is like, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how much we engage in like all the mental activity, you know, like whether it's reading or, um, writing or, you know, like considering, but then when you get down to it, like we're walking around in the street, having conversations with other people, whether it's a microaggression or it's like, you know, you're sitting down and talking to your friends and they want to talk about labels. There's a lot of work that I can be doing um, in general with Asian Americans because for a lot of it, I feel like I come from almost like a a place of whiteness. Does that make sense? Like there's this sense of like, I haven't experienced the one time. Okay, so this is a funny story, which I think I've told on the podcast before, so I won't rehash it too much, but I definitely got stopped by the cops and... Um, uh, we were filming for my documentary and they had a bunch of guns pointed at us. There had been a report that that there was a girl, there was someone driving around a car pointing a gun at another person. So that gun was my cinematographer's camera and I was the hostage, but I still had a gun pointed at me. I still had to ha- have my hands behind my back. Hopefully my parents will never hear this. But like, you know, like I was still had handcuffs on me and and sometimes I think about how that could have gone differently. And I think there's like a moment for white people where they go, oh, that could have gone differently if I was a black person. And I experienced that same sense of like unsafety, which a lot of, I think, especially in 2016, and I've talked directly with a lot of, you know, like black people living in America that like when they drive through, they're like, this could be it. This could be my day, you know, like mm-hmm. just one bad cop, one bad interaction, you know? And, and and so in that sense, I feel like I come from a place of privilege, you know, that that I don't have to I don't have to live in in that kind of, you know, that kind of mentality. And so you 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 almost have the ability to kind of walk through life and just be like, well, only these certain things affect me like like and you name them and they're very like they don't have to do with race and power i mean at the bottom of them a lot of issues do right but when you talk about like buying a house like in the bay area you're no longer discriminated against like 
my grandparents well okay. i'm like well well okay 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 i think as an asian american it. It, it doesn't it doesn't feel that way all the time mm-hmm. do you know what i'm saying you're not as consciously aware but like just a generation ago my grandparents trying to find a place in silver lake people would not show them in their houses because they were chinese people mm-hmm. you know and that was oh, the 1940s 1950s when they were growing up but you know like that that isn't my reality does that make sense and so i wonder wonder how i can bring people in these into these conversations into the idea that like we talk about them versus us our me and 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 changing that kind of mentality and you know what i'm saying because i think some of us you know like by circumstance either live in it or um i don't know i don't know if you feel like you had to make conscious choices men to kind of be engaged in it you know like because we're talking about coats versus skins now right we've moved the (laughs) metaphor into like well does this work is this work something that you live in all the time you know and and how much is it a part of you because for dom i think what you're saying to me is that you because of who you are you've had to yeah in part i i think there's also i mean i can also not talk about race it doesn't mean i'm not thinking about it but i can choose not to talk about it and i think as become more aware and understanding more about my identity and the system that surrounds us surrounds us it i feel more compelled to do so and if Mm -hmm. it's something that i'm asking my majority friends to do engage in the topic get close to the topic talk to people about it figure out your role then i also have to be vocal and part of that is getting over the fact that like I might be construed as this like angry brown chick who only wants to talk about race and politics all the time Mm -hmm. which is not the case it's more that I I like to more deeply understand issues Mm -hmm. and that involves exploring multifaceted things that are affecting that issue and I have to get over myself in a little bit to do that and if I'm asking others to do that then I need to do it as well so, and I'm learning how to do it in a more uh, tactful <laughs> way. Um, I met. Why? Tact is lame. I'm just kidding. Um, yes and no. I mean, for some, it's it's what they need to feel like they can engage in the conversation. And on a given day, my patience for that might be one way or the other. Like, I'll mm. give you an example. I met a friend's boyfriend for the first time. Um, this sounds fun. <laughs> she's Latina and he's white. And he starts telling me this story about how he's taking her out on a date and he, the line was really long and there was like an hour and a half wait and he just like went up and talked to the pretty hostess for a minute and they got a table within like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And my first question to him was like, how do you think white privilege played into that interaction? <laughs> Which... Might have been a little aggressive for like one of the first things I said to him, but that's all I could think about, right? Like I couldn't get out of it. And to his credit, he replied, he was like, yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that. You're right. It probably really played a strong role in blah, blah, blah. And he responded, you know, really eloquently and thoughtfully, but not everyone responds that way. So how to have conversations and bring up thoughts and concepts like that, either that directly, if I think the person is there or figuring out, okay, so why do you, why did you think you get that table? What about you 
allowed you to jump the line in front of the other 40 people who are waiting. Sure. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but you got to spark, you got to create the spark. I don't know. That's what I see my role as Personal, right now. personal, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Repeat the, repeat the question for me. No, now she's going to ask a really pointed question to you about, you know, w- walking through privilege. I guess... <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you feel... You're saying, do I have to do it consciously? Is, was that the question originally? That wasn't the original question. I think, I, I think I'm just trying to work something out for myself because when I move through spaces, I feel like I have more ease. Like, I'm a part as an Asian American and I'll always be Asian American. Like, I'll never be seen as white. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no... Like, you pass, but you still are, you know, other. Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, like, how, how do I help my, <laughs> my fellow Asian Americans who may not see that as a problem... Um, or who see it as something to grapple with. Like, did you feel, uh, like you, you talked about college being, um, that kind of formative space for you, but in moving through the different spaces, you know, whether it was working, you worked for the, the mayor's office in Atlanta. Like, I'm wondering what that work was like for you to operate as an Asian American. Like we can even like take a couple steps back because it's like, you know, like I think obviously like self-knowledge comes little by little. It's not like something that, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, I have privilege and I have power and I have to wield it a certain way. And, you know, I need to have these conversations and, you know, like, but it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's something that develops. So I'm curious, I mean, maybe the, the first question is how you, how did you want to wield that? You talked about having a mentee, you talked about being tired, but not wanting to quit like what is the work that you're doing you know I think part of it is like the communities I I am in is just they're my community there's like family and like if you think about it in that way and you cannot you can't disconnect from family and if you have that framework of a family as that then I think it becomes much more difficult to opt out Who's this? Who's in this family for you? I mean, so like within the space of what you're talking about, right? Like within like race conversations, whether you're or gender conversations, it's just like if you think of everyone almost like family, and that you can't necessarily like pull away. For me, it's then it's just a personal choice of like how to like engage, and yeah, I guess that's how I kind of think about it. Where I feel feel about it, it's not something I think about. It's just something that is for me. So it's much less of a, almost just like less of a choice then. Like I just do it, and it's like kind of annoying sometimes because people are like, "Why are you?" My my friends who I I consider probably more activist-y than me, they they take more breaks than me. That is more sustainable, because I'm always 
like be like oh that's off i went on this date and it was terrible this there was an asian american woman and she just said something and i was just like i guess this is not gonna go well <laughs> what what happened I don't know. She said something. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. What was it? I was just like, no, I mean, there's one, there's one time, there's a multiple moments. There's one time, not the same girl um, or okay. same woman. It, one person was definitely the all lives matter person. And I, that one I did not uh, filter. And it was just like, yep, that's the last time I'm going to see you. Well, did, did you, did you just, did you go off? Like what happened? Yeah, I mean, my tone sometimes can go off if I don't think something makes sense. And I I will just say, that doesn't make sense to me. Can you explain that a little more? And then I'll just keep asking questions. And then they feel my intent because they don't make sense. Yeah. And then they go into the, yeah, but like all of us are people, right? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but you come from a place of knowledge, right? I don't know. I, I come from a, like... It's of thinking like things. when somebody says something like that it's literally my friends like you're talking about my friends you're talking about my family yeah and this is like when i get married if you disrespect my wife i might have to fight you i mean right. this is a very southern thing like uh-huh. honor you're just like uh oh, here we go i'm gonna have to fight you yeah yeah like that's, i'm gonna take that as disrespect and then we're gonna get it in so it's interesting because she's an asian-american female and Dom is cracking up over here because it's it is hilarious. Well, she grew up in like you know Virginia and with a bunch of white people, and like sometimes that is enough to teach you all the language and behavior that is kind of like oppressive. The woman, the not me. What? Well, also yeah, I feel like in, Dom is like oppressive in other ways, like with her with her amazing hospitality and just like now I feel like indebted. <laughs> So yeah, sometimes take, when I watch her dance, it's just like I want to sit down. It's like, like uh, oh sit God. down because da- Dom is dancing. Yeah. I take she payment the floor. and cookies. Oh, and pizza. Thank you. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get some cheese board. We're Woo. gonna do it. Um, I guess because like when we talk about family, and I think she's clearly uh well, I say clearly like in not quotes. Dom, right? Not Dom. The, no, this 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 girl that you had that conversation. We would be friends with. if she did that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, Dom and I are frenemies. So. No, we can't. We can't be friends. That's no, it. don't don't be friends. <laughs> um. So you talk about family, and I mean, when Asian Americans think family, they think other Asian Americans, even if it's like vastly like, say you're, um, you know, uh, a Korean American or something like that, you know, and you think east asian and maybe even possibly southeast asian but south asians aren't included in that i think a lot of times and that's kind of just from a anecdotal place like over a personal place like growing up i didn't really consider indians to also be asians but i'm trying to change that i'm trying to change my boundaries of what is an asian person right so yeah i mean um, it's real easy you just look at the continent of asia right and you're like oh this is it yeah, this, this is it. Which which makes a lot of like Russians now Asian, right? So anyway, um, goes back to we're all the same, right? Like you oh, did the yeah, same thing with Africa. Yeah, we're all from Africa. We just all started and China. expanding and keep keep it going. And yeah. China. Yeah, um, so so but then but you were like I'm gonna I'm a, I'm gonna have to fight you because you just said something about my family. So you have a different idea of family, right? Like. No, these are my friends. I mean, my these, if you're saying all lives matter, it's a reference to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I I just have 
a lot of close friends who are African American that are both just trying to live their life and they're activists and like they're out there. So like some out in the streets. So I am very cognizant of what that means for them in a social space. Mm-hmm. And and I don't like that in language. And so even if they're not doing anything, they're a liberal, right? They're like Asian American liberal or like the white liberals in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Like even though most of the time the people I meet have the correct language, I... Um, Sometimes even them, they don't have the, they don't have the community part. Like, what does it matter to me that you have right language, but you're not in community with people that you're talking about? Or, and then the step before that was you don't have the right language. And what does that mean in perpetuating this kind of stereotype or like this disempowerment, um, this dismissiveness of the challenges that face this particular community? And so, I mean, it's kind of like what I've heard is like when you're a parent, you have to treat your child differently and they're still family but you you treat them differently and you try to understand them as an individual and so like if you pull that out as an example of like how do you understand different uh community groups in the same way and you have to understand each community in their own respective ways because asian americans have been oppressed too how do we think about that oppression and not necessarily be comparative uh to other challenges that other people face and be and basically be additive. Like, it doesn't make sense to me to compare relatively, like, and be relative about it if that means that we're taking this kind of scarcity mentality about resources, which may or may not be the case. But it's clear to me that people with the power and money want us to do that in this kind of meta way, such that we got one slice of pizza and we're like yo you got you got a bigger piece than me instead Yours of has us, more tomatoes and cheese exactly and then instead of saying but these people over here have like 10 10 10 pies why don't we go over here oh and get some of that not just this one piece that all people of color have to like pull from is that what you're saying right like don't throw me to scraps and then act like you're not having like a full course meal like i see you i see you having the full course meal over there mm-hmm. and like we're over here as people of color, as the marginalized, talking about um, what do we do with this little bit that they yeah, just... Yeah, I don't threw. want just crust. Bread scripts versus... Yeah. yeah. They ate the crust and they, uh, they ate the rest of the pizza and gave us the crust. We get no tomatoes or cheese. And so, <laughs> yeah, and and the vegetables they didn't want, like the stray bell pepper or yeah. something. Maybe a mushroom for Lucky. Olives. Yeah. Mm. Oh, no, 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 no. Nobody wants all this. Nobody wants all this. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just the... I mean, it's a metaphor for like thinking about... How do we work together to have a community dinner rather than like you're you're in that room with the full buffet and then we're over here with the scraps. Um, and that's not to say the solution is to like redistribute, but the, the solution to me in my mind is then we have to acknowledge that that might be an analogy for what is and then talk about what a community dinner looks like. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Well, I want to hear. I like that. this. I like this. I like this. Let's move this farther because one, it's about food. Two, I think. Yeah, it's, this is the space you like. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and we can also talk about like, what does a community dinner look like? Like, like, what does it mean to show up as a family? Because I think that's the first time I've heard family and that word used within the context of race, unless it's like, like brothers and sisters and struggle. Like, it's 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 not used as 
What's well, similar, right? Positively, I think. Hmm. I mean, the the use of that language is to create a closer sense of kinship and this political identity that can move us forward. I mean, Vietnamese people have it, and we use like anji am, which means big brother, big hmm. sister, mm-hmm. you know, little sibling. We have these like very familiar terms where, similarly, it brings us together, um, and it's like a form of respect, you know. So. I don't know what the... Uh, I'll let you continue. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just like trying to um, push our conversation towards this idea of dinner. Like, Dom, <laughs> yeah, mm. what is dinner. Um, what I mean, like, what is that? Is that helpful for helpful for you? Like, when you're talking to other people of color, um, you know, because sometimes, sometimes, like someone like me, like I want to be educated, and I've definitely had that moment where someone's like, actually, there's this documentary that you could see, and I was like, oh. I should do my own work right mm-hmm. and i'm curious because you also mentioned something that i think is important is the uncomfortability mm-hmm. of is that even a word i don't know we're yeah. making it we've done it we've sure. done it it's a word uncomfortability of like engaging in these conversations and like what would you say to like you know like maybe an asian american who's trying to understand like like black lives matter and how it doesn't exclude them from the conversation what would I what would I say to them? Yeah, like or just like how like what what good questions could you ask? Them? Like, <laughs> what what what's like? And if you want to use a the family analogy, awesome. But have you ever had those conversations? Maybe that's a good place to start. Um. Yes, kind of. Mm-hmm. I I find most usually it's uh, white people as opposed to Asian people who ask or try to engage me in those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um and they usually come at it from an inquisitive place. Mm. Um, So I try to match that, right? Like, because I don't have all the answers on one data point. And I try to talk to them about what being an ally is for me to groups that I don't directly identify with. So, for example, the Hispanic community. How, what does being (coughs) an ally mean and look like? What have I done to take steps that direction, right? So I try to put myself in more diverse spaces. I try to read more literature and consume more pop culture and things that are coming out of that, the U.S. Hispanic population and community. Right. And, and what work am I doing as an example and a mirror for work that they could be doing? Um, as far as like inviting people to the table, I invite people with me. to all sorts of things right like last year again unfortunately provided a lot of opportunities to have conversation about race in america Mm. mostly due to violence that was being perpetrated and we had a number of forums group sits healing sessions whatever you want to call it where people would come together and share their experiences and i would always try to bring members of the majority with me because I hear a lot of, well, that's not for me, that's for them. And you don't understand that it affects all of us. And when you start to hear the hurt, the pain, the confusion, the fear in people's voices, you realize like, yeah, this is everyone. If my colleague can't concentrate because they're afraid for their life, Mm -hmm. life, this is my problem too. And I think, I think it's Brian Stevenson who talks a lot about proximity. Like it's, 
essential for doing this work. And if we're not intentionally getting out of our bubbles and our communities, inviting people to the table and also trying to sit at some other tables, we're doing a disservice to the, to the overall objective of integration and inclusion. You, you seem to respond to resonate with that. I mean, her language represents the, the, the need for people to personalize and to like see that as a challenge for themselves, you know? Like when we're talking about like they don't, people generally are just like, oh, that's not my problem. There's no personalization of like how that is as a community, a challenge that we must face together because it doesn't affect, and perhaps it does not affect them and therefore they don't see the, the impact and they're like, that's not for me. But like clear, it's clear that they, they might have the power to be able to make some moves for like the betterment of our society. Like that it's not possible to make any movement without like white support. That's just a fact. Like they still account for 77% of the population, including like white Hispanics, right? Like versus like the 60, 60-ish percent of like what what identifies as white non-Hispanic is. Mm. But if you account for the whole, that's still pretty high as people that can pass as white. Right. And white is, again, I'm like stuck in Baldwin, but Baldwin talks about the fact that like white is a subs, it's really non-existent and it just is a way of like describing power. And so... If you substitute it for that, we cannot move forward as a community. People of color cannot do that without the power shifting. Like, that's just true because they still account for a lot of the power and wealth mm-hmm. and the majority of the population. And so, yeah. So I, I was saying, because she was like, oh, yeah, people don't think that it's a, their problem. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the problem. Yeah. <laughs> or part of it is part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, how often do we hear like politicians, famous people, et cetera, being saying things like, you know, I didn't really realize until, you know, my son came out as gay or my daughter started dating a black man or I think it was Kim Kardashian was like, I didn't realize the like systemic racism in the society until, until I had a brown child or something like that. I don't know. I don't really follow her, so that could just be hearsay, but... <laughs> <laughs> but things like that, we hear this, that once people actually get close to other, they start to have shifts in perspective. So I see my my job as well as like a passion of mine is bringing people together who might not mm. normally come together. Yeah. I, I don't want to intrude any more on your time because y'all have been so generous and I want to maybe move this into a discussion about allyship and just that talking about that exclusively. And I think, Dom, you started the conversation like about allies, like people who want to be allies. And I think that's where I'd love to end us today because it's, it's, it's hard work to sh- help shift people in their mind towards personal responsibility. And I think, I don't know if it's like a simultaneous struggle where not only would they need to see personal responsibility, but all, also like allyship, like being at the table, you know, like with everybody else trying to open up the buffet to everybody, right? Like, um, so, so I think uh, in the in the uh, spirit of like, 
externalities kind of helping internalities like um how you view yourself and your own relation to other people like what are some ways that um um, specifically asian americans can be allies and i don't know if either of you are thinking about that a lot but i think it's something that's on my mind as something as a as a chinese american female who's like what can i be doing you know is are are people gonna get mad because i'm 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 uh (laughs) <laughs> that's good pacify back and forth um are people gonna be mad because they think i'm speaking for them do you know what i'm saying like is there is there a sense that i will be stepping on other people's toes you know um am i erasing um someone's someone's black voice or a hispanic or latino voice because i've i've got a forum and i'm saying something for them and i think we talked a little bit about the preposition with versus for mm-hmm. so anybody jump in here so i don't keep rambling on about like my questions you know um maybe like maybe back and forth or something like that like here's one thing that i found helpful in my own life you know um in terms of allyship or or things like uh ways that you've experienced people allying with you dom in terms of like helping bring the majority people with them or um again hopefully for asian americans to kind of figure out like a very very easy first step Mm -hmm. is letting folks know that you're learning (laughs) and that you're open to it and recognizing that a lot of humility has to come alongside that so what i've appreciated about some of my allies they've said hey dom i'm trying to learn more about this whole black lives matter thing in the u.s um I'm going to start reading books, blah, blah, blah. Can I ask you some questions sometime? I said, sure, but I want them to be like questions that are really more discussions as opposed to like facts. So Mm. do some research, go back, come back and like, let's actually have a conversation as opposed to a teaching session because I can't represent everyone. So you don't carry a blackboard around with you with chalk and like diagrams. No. Um, So... So yeah, so holding humility and then just letting people know that this is something that you're working on mm. is a good is a good first step. Like to some of the people who have told me that, I've felt more comfortable sending them articles, book suggestions, podcasts, etc. Because then that actually gives us something to talk about mm-hmm. as opposed to what they see in the media or just general lofty ideas. Mm. Cool. Lynn? You're next. Um, You're up. Great. Uh, I think there are a lot of guides out there that you can Google that has a lot of like readings. I think reading is reading and watching um, videos around the challenges of like race and racism in the nation. And it can go beyond um, like African-American racism, like the racism that affects African-Americans into like the Asian-American space. So for like Asian-Americans, I think it's important to probably do both at the same time, understand what racism looks like for our communities mm. and how our political identity evolved and how that is deeply tied to like the rise of civil rights and how those things kind of like contributed to like the Immigration Act of 1965. Um, what does it look like? Like if you, per- again, personalize it for as Asian Americans and understand ourselves as like, a political identity and not a wider pan-ethnic identity, I think that's a big, uh, like, a good starting point. 
um, first, the second, and that might be an easier ask, right? Like you're, you're not trying to go outside of yourself necessarily. You're trying to go inside and understand how people are looking at you. The second is you can start doing the work around like reading on like how that might look for African-Americans. But like what I find to be easier is like maybe you do step one and then at the same time you are becoming friends with more people of color that um, are conscious and that's not a hard thing to do in mm. the Bay Area, I think. Mm. Um, and I think by sheer fact that you have friends that are people of color, that is to me like a big, big win because of the fact that like no one wants to be that one black friend that it has to like chip away at the sculpt like molding you as a sculpture mm -hmm. it just gets to be a lot of work and so you want more of the whole you can't be that one droplet that tries to like you know nick away at this statue mm -hmm. you have to be like the rain like you need to have more friends that has a network that will be able to like check you when you're like saying something that you think is okay and like they're like that's not okay because mm -hmm. you can't have just one person do that all the time they'll get tired and then you'll probably stop learning because they don't want to be the only one mm -hmm. that's too much responsibility for one person but that's what people of color have they feel when they have to engage mm -hmm. all the time about it with you by yourself and why would you sign up for a friendship that you know it's just so one-sided in that way yeah um even if you're trying and sometimes i don't know what people's version of trying looks like but there's a feeling that you get when you see a person trying, you know? Right. And that doesn't mean the second thing that I'm recommending is not something that you just go out and like, I'm going to get a bunch of like black friends. Like that's like if you just put yourself <laughs> in the like in spaces that have more people of color mm. more naturally or maybe like spaces that have more people of color and has this other interest, mm -hmm. um, then you'll naturally just meet people because people are people that vibe with you well mm -hmm. because then you can really deconstruct what race is because race doesn't mean anything in the context of like the majority just like in jamaica when i was living there like saying i'm black is non like it does not work and when you are in that kind of space you do kind of start seeing people more as people and not in this like american lens of race because you don't have a narrative you don't have this like meta narrative like uh, about this group now you're starting to have like like narratives with a lowercase n around people of color um latin american african-american or whatever and you see them as more more human and then the friendship kind of works itself out such that it's you know then can help support the other stuff that you want to do because Challenges to like racism affects a lot of things and like if you want to do work work in the community You have to then choose it's kind of like trying to find a job. You're just like what vertical do I want to like? affect like racism has affected You know housing it's affected education. It's affected a lot of things and it's it's a lot to say I want to be an ally um, when there's a lot of things to like try to tie yourself to and I think the mindset of being humble and like being a part of the community is more important understanding that you are you're an Asian American and I think that's okay too 
because I, I this is the last story then for me around you know doing these things where I met this political scientist professor I met this political scientist who's a professor at Stanford mm. and she was like oh I grew up in like I grew up in uh, what was it it's like northwest of Santa, San Jose she was like oh it's 90% Asian like I used to feel like I wanted to be Asian she's a white woman and I was like oh that's interesting right <laughs> and she was like and then I realized I couldn't be Asian and I was like yeah cool <laughs> and um usually how the story goes is like if you're Asian American and you like go to a predominantly white white like setting I'm like oh yeah like that makes sense that you're predominantly dating white guys that just makes sense to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then I asked the woman how oh, did you marry an Asian American guy she was like no I married somebody French I was like a white person who's French and so like she had kind of gone from this oh I want to be a part of it to I'm never going to be a part of it uh, and I thought that to be fascinating because she was like I do work in Tanzania and like like where like in Jersey somewhere that's like down like whatever um, like low income and that's a signal to me like oh I work with like people of color mm-hmm. and she was like but I know I'll never be a part of those communities and I was like that's the fucking problem yeah. The problem is if you have that mindset, you never push the limits of which being a part of a community is. That you don't have to be black to be a part of the black community. Right? Yeah. Like that just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like I am Asian American, I'm in a predominantly African American uh fraternity. There at no point do I think, "Oh, I'm black." That's stupid. <laughs> Some of my friends might joke around and like, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. basically like black and inside. I'm like, am I? And we might shoot the shit, but like, there's no point of me being like, I feel very Asian American. Mm-hmm. And it's all contextual, right? Like abroad, I was very American. Mm. You know, like in different spaces, you label yourself differently. It's all context- contextual, but I can understand all the context is. And like, understand that like, I can be a part of that community without being black. And that's powerful to me. And the problem, even with this person that is like a seemingly a white liberal, like just does not feel like they can be a part of it. And they don't find that that's important to the solutioning. Right. Mm. And there's a distancing. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I also want that. I mean, like it would be wonderful not to think about race and like and be white. I mean, like I don't want to be white, but... Wouldn't it be nice to be a white male and not have to think about this? Yeah. And and have all the other challenges of just being a human being. <laughs> like all the insecurities, you know, like when they're like, oh, yeah, I have to deal with blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I have to do that too. And then let's and, and like, and let's add this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, women also have to like, that. that's what it happens. It's just like, oh, yeah, I get that you also have to deal with trying to find a job, but you don't have to deal with like sexual harassment. <sighs> um... I love all this. I, I think it's so good. Like, like you, I think you used the word earlier too, proximity, and that's that speaks a lot to what you're talking about. I feel like when you come into contact with people different than yourself, specifically other communities of color, it just you're just confronted. You know, you're just mm-hmm. confronted with your your own stereotypes, your own internalized racism. Like I remember this one moment. I was sitting in the car. Oh man, this is not a proud moment. Like. I like uh we were in Chinatown. It was like kind of later at night, and like you know it was just like a bunch of like white guys got out of the car. I was like, oh, it's, it's okay, it's white people. And my friend turned to me. She's this, this like Jewish girl. She's like, 
that was really racist. I was like, that was kind of effed up, wasn't it? And I was like, but I was just floored because like, I, you know, you assume these things about yourself and then you, you, you get called out and you're like, oh, well, thank God somebody called me out. And I think that's another thing is like, is making spaces where you, you make it cool to have those conversations, to be called out, to, to be confronted. And um, I think that's something that doesn't happen enough um, amongst our friends because we're so, we're like, oh, are we, are we ready to do this today? Are we ready to engage in that conversation? And sometimes like you don't want to light them up, right? Like you said, like, like, are these people ready to have this conversation? So um, we, we got a lot of, we got a lot of good thoughts going on here. Um, is there anything that you know oh my goodness um i'm trying to think about how to close this up because i it'll never close it's is a continuous badger it's open forever you can't damn this water (laughs) it's flowing so fast on a rainy day can't stop the rain um missy elliott forever uh (laughs) summary get friends read more for yourself be humble Mm, stay hungry stay hungry look to the future look to the future back to the future (laughs) should we should we just like (laughs) spoken word this i think that's what just happened i think we should also point out that you wanted you 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 asked for people to start being like rain not just the drop but like a rain on the statue and i was like oh shit that's so cinematic uh what do you what do you what's next for the both of you uh man, you salsa. Just, salsa salsa <laughs> right and some kind of dating podcast that we're gonna do but also okay. uh you want to create a podcast on all the thoughts in your brain men i'm still unpacking i don't okay. know you know you have to unpack sometimes you just dump everything when you come home from a trip and then you figure out where things need to go oh so you're still in that process, sorting, sorting, sorting. Yeah, the bag's so packed, and so I need to go home and like, uh, and then like, oh, okay, this is interesting, and yeah, that's where I am in my thoughts. <laughs> I love that we're, that's we're just gonna continue the metaphor. Uh, are you also unpacking, Dom, or like, what do you think? You're gonna stay in diversity and tech, or I know that's a big question. I think for me, like, 2016 has been a lot about exploring what these topics mean on an emotional level. I think 2017, I want to explore a lot more at an academic level. So it's going to be a lot more readings, seminars, speeches, those sorts of things. Um, So that's my plan. Amazing. Well, once you got your list together, once you get your podcast, please contact the bull and the badger. And uh, thank you again. You're welcome. Bye. 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 Because most of the music doesn't have a beat. What? EDM? That's more of a pulse, I'd say, than a beat. Etc.